Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, welcome everyone back to another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. If you haven't already done so, please make sure you like, share, subscribe, and leave us an awesome comment on your favorite podcast platform. Now, also, make sure you guys show us some love on our newest venture with Waypoint TV Podcast Collective. Um, also, you can follow us on Facebook at Tide Chasers Podcast and also on Instagram at Tide underscore Chasers. Looks like we have a super exciting show for you guys today and especially you Sweetwater Trout guys. Uh, once again, I would like you to welcome back my co-host for this week, Bobby Norgard. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Excited for this one. It's going to be awesome. fun. Definitely. Um, today, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, we're actually going to let Bobby introduce our guest for in, for the evening. Go ahead. Take it away, Bob. Yeah. Hey, hey everyone. So I'm really excited about this. We got a good friend of mine that we actually met back in Penn State all the way back in 2011 through 2014. Uh, he was working in the TCO fly shop there, and I think he's still working in TCO fly shop. So we'll get into that a little bit. Um, so welcome to the show, my good bud, Lenny Gliwa. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing real well. Thanks again for having me tonight, guys. Our pleasure. Really appreciate you being here. Um, so before we jump into the fishing endeavors and everything, uh, give us a little bit about your backstory here. Um, where you are now, where you came from, how'd you get into the sport, influences, and, and then give us the TCL fly shop story. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so I grew up in uh, Delaware County in uh, Pennsylvania, just outside Philadelphia in the suburbs. My dad uh, started taking me fishing at a really young age. I was super fortunate. He's not like a hardcore fisherman by any means, but uh, definitely instilled in me, <clears throat> excuse me, a love of the outdoors and specifically fishing for sure. That definitely hooked me, <laughs> literally, as they say, uh, pretty early. Um, I started working at TCO uh, when they opened the Bryn Mawr shop uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite a long while ago. Uh, I want to say I was like, a, you know, in eighth grade, freshman in high school, something like that. Um, and I was able to work part time at the shop there for a number of years. 
I started guiding when I was uh, 16. That's when you can legally start in the state of Pennsylvania. So I got my driver's license and I started taking people fishing. Uh, just really basic stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just really basic stuff. Uh, fairly locally, you know, focused on places like Valley Creek, some Lehigh Valley stuff. Uh, and then eventually I, when I graduated from uh, St. Joe's Prep, I went to Penn State and uh, moved up to State College. That's when things really took a turn for the uh, crazy. Um, obviously surrounded by some really, really, really quality trout water. I was lucky enough to meet and, and work with some really, really fantastic people. Um, all through high school, I worked for uh, a guy named Chris Frangiosa, uh, another guy, Steve Spurgeon. Uh, I worked for George Daniel, Paul Weimer, a lot of people who've been around and done a lot of things in this industry. Um, and they've been fantastic, fantastic, you know, mentors and teachers to me over the years. Uh, so I pull, I pull influences from a lot of places uh, as I kind of worked through the years and uh, state college was just a, a blast as far as, you know, trout fishing. There's just so many opportunities. If you look at state college on a map drive within, let's say 45 minutes in any direction, you have literally hundreds of miles of trout water. Um, you know, roadside ditches are spring creeks full of wild brown trout. And it's a, it's a really pretty unique area. It's, it's definitely changed over the last few years for sure, but uh, it's still fantastic, fantastic area. I spent a lot of time up there still fishing quite a good bit. Uh, so then after I got out of Penn State, um, I ended up moving back to the Bryn Mawr shop. That's where at least I grew up and started working down there. And uh, have been ru running, managing that shop since. Uh, oh, during that time, we moved from our original location when we first opened on Penn Street uh, in, in Bryn Mawr. It was an old fly shop back from like the 60s um, called Eilers. And once we moved from there, uh, we moved into an Orvis store just down the road. It was a pretty unique concept. Orvis has like 80 some retail locations in the country. And we were the uh, kind of only store set up like this. We were a independent fly shop within uh, an Orvis store. And it worked really well. It was a great partnership. We both learned a lot on both sides. And after three years of doing that, we just decided that I think mutually both sides kind of decided we wanted to go a different direction with what we were doing. And uh, so we moved back to an independent space in Bryn Mawr again um, down just a little bit further uh, west on Route 30. And we've, uh, so far, we've been there, I think, just over two weeks. Uh, so it's been going really well for us. Uh, so I, I work there and I also work a lot out in our Boiling Springs location uh, as well. So I drive back and forth on the turnpike quite a good bit uh, and kind of oversee what's going on out there. So I've spent, like I said, a lot of time with the company. It's been a fantastic, fantastic uh, spot. You know, Tony Gemmon, the owner of the, of the company, really, uh, you know, he, he's created something pretty, pretty cool and glad to be a part of it for so long. Very cool. I mean, I've, I've been out to the TCO shop in Brigham when you guys were at Orvis and uh, you guys have some solid staff there. Like every time I walked in there, the guys were very helpful. Um, I dropped off one of my clear waters to get it, you know, uh, redone because I broke the tip off and they, you guys took care of me really quick and easy and pretty much showed me how everything works and I mean, solid staff over there and, and knowledgeable to those guys. Right on. Thank you. I appreciate that. For sure, that means a lot. Is there, is, is there anything new about the, the shop? Is there anything bigger and better about it? Or is it just new location? And Absolutely. So it's it's definitely, it's going to be a pretty unique concept. Um, we're right on Route 30 for the first time as an independent store. Um, so that's just a, a cool draw in general. But the, the really unique thing is we're going to have a standalone uh, fly tying building 
Uh, it's, it's a garage space that we've renovated into a really, really kind of unique fly tying facility. Um, we have custom tables being built down the middle. As with many things in life right now, COVID is slowing us down, blah, blah, blah. But um, it's going to be a, a giant space. It's over 900 square feet of just purely fly tying stuff. We're going to have a very, very large assortment of, you know, just about everything. What we carried before will be, you know, greatly increased and uh, really hoping to kind of focus a little bit more on some of the saltwater opportunities we have in the area for sure. Um, I feel like that's something that a lot of people overlook in our area. Uh, saltwater, brackish water, the Delaware River, the Schuylkill River is being prime examples. Um, some really pretty unique fisheries that don't always see a lot of love. You know, people look at the Schuylkill River in Philadelphia. If you're from the area or from New Jersey, you, you probably have a, a pretty dismal idea of what the Schuylkill River is, um, but it's actually a pretty, pretty unique area. So things like that are, are definitely high on our list of, of what we're trying to really maximize over there. It's going to be a really cool event space. We're going to try to do a lot in the way of classes and education and, um, you know, just, just a lot of, a lot of inventory, a lot of product, a lot of fun stuff going on back there. Yeah, that's neat, man. Definitely. I, uh, go ahead, go ahead, Bob. I, uh, well, I was just thinking like, so there's this, there's this place in Manion that I drive by all the time going up this hill to one of my buddy's house. Uh, and it's this old industrial building that they converted into a wood shop oh, with, yeah. the same, with the same idea. Maybe you know what I'm talking about where you just, you can go in there and they have all the machines. And pay. Beverage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So you just go in there, you pay a small fee, uh, you can make whatever you want. Uh, so, so what's the idea behind this? Cause it's, it sounds awesome. Is that the same thing? You're going to, you'll, you'll pay a small fee and you get materials and you have vices set up and tables and everything, or is it a bring your own kind of deal? Well, that'll depend on what the individual event is. I mean, we're going to do a lot of stuff for, you know, marketed to, to the straight beginner. Um, you can show up with literally nothing, no knowledge, no information, just a desire to learn. Uh, and we're going to be able to walk you through the process of this is your vice. This is your bobbin. Um, you know, these are you know, whip, your whip finisher, your hackle pliers. I'm throwing out a lot of terms, obviously, uh, that are, they're, they're all tools for fly time and be able to walk you through what the tools are, how you use them and, you know, how to put together from start to finish a, a couple of different basic fly patterns. At the same time, we'll also offer a variety of classes that are going to focus on more the inter, intermediate to even advanced tire, trying to pull on, you know, the local resources that we have around the area. I mean, there's a lot of people within a couple hours of this area that are, are literally world renowned fly tires. Uh, and we're certainly, glad to finally have a, a dedicated space to be able to do stuff like that where we can have a group of people in the shop and not have to shut down our whole program all day long and you know you're in like a again like a very expansive uh fly time specifically oriented space um so there will be a lot of everything um we're hoping for just open fly tying nights where you can bring your own stuff or uh again classes to clinics to you name it uh the the possibilities are kind of endless right now it really just depends on um, you know, how, how far we want to take things. And that's cool. where we're looking to do a lot. Yeah. yeah and then give us, give, no, give us, give, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I just have one question. Uh, with all these classes, um, were you guys even considering offering like fly class, uh, fly casting classes? Cause my wife's been interested and I'm not a teacher, but I always wanted to put her in at least a class or two, just to see if, see if it sparks her interest. Absolutely. Yeah. We all already offer that stuff for sure. So we do private uh, fly tying classes, excuse me, fly casting classes, um, you know, based on an hourly rate. We also do beginner schools that are focused primarily on casting and a basic understanding of 
you know, knots and rigging and things like that, not getting too specific into the realm of, uh, of fishing or even, you know, more specifically trout fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have, there's, there's someone there for just about everyone. Um, that's the great thing about having, you know, since I started in, with, the, with the company, we had, I don't know, maybe 15 employees, it felt like across the company. Uh, you know, we have nearly 60 now. Uh, the shop is, it's, you know, it's big, it's growing, it's booming. We're, we're doing, you know, a lot of different things for the first time in, in quite some time. And, uh, you know, there's always someone who has some sort of experience in just about any facet of, of fly fishing. You know, while, you know, I spend a lot of time trout fishing every year, I'm also a pretty, you know, well-versed, well-rounded angler, I'd say across the board. I, I spent a lot of time saltwater fishing. I spent a lot of time uh, warm water fishing. I spend a lot of time doing a little bit of everything. Uh, and even with conventional stuff too, I'm a fly fishing guy through and through, but you know, I like Shimano Stellos. I, I like the, all the finer things in life too. So. Nice. Cool, man. So before, before we move on from TCO, um, give me a sense of the events and really, I mean, I know you used to do like a, a, a live Friday night live fly tying with Lenny kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I know we just missed a sweet event tonight. So um, tell us about that. And then also, how do we find out about those events? I mean, I know I get emails, but how does somebody who doesn't know about these events find out about them? Absolutely. So uh, we, we were in the, the peak of COVID trying to do a lot of different uh, outreach events, obviously just trying to keep people kind of positive and focused on, you know, the fact that, look, you can get out, you can go fishing. Um, so we are not currently doing a lot of that stuff. The goal with this new space is to be able to do a lot of that stuff. We're, we're looking to, you know, look into a, like a, you know, a camera video setup to be able to produce things more consistently at a higher quality and just, you know, have that stuff out there. Cause it's a lot of fun, quite frankly, on my side, if I can, if I can do that stuff, kind of stuff for work, I mean, twist my arm, I'll tie flies for a couple hours. Um, so I really, I really would like to be able to get, get to do a lot more of that stuff. And that's again, part of the plan. Um, tonight we had an open, uh, kind of, uh, brew and bug session, we call it. So, uh, we went to Sly Fox Brewery in Phoenixville, um, and ended up having quite a, a quite a solid turnout. A ton of people showed up, um, and went through John Parisi, my coworker down in uh, Bryn Mawr. He ended up tying a pretty cool little streamer pattern for trout and, uh, again, we had people from really advanced tires to rank novice beginner tires uh, that came out and had some beers and had some food and had a really good time and tied a bunch of flies. And um, so we're, again, really making a big push to, to try to do a lot more of that stuff as we come a little bit further back to a little bit of sense of normalcy here, obviously, with the pandemic stuff. It's nice to be able to get together out and, you know, again, have some have some drinks and, and tie some flies and, and talk fishing. So it's, it's definitely cool there. Uh, as far as people who are not familiar with with the shop or how to find out about that stuff, we're all over the place. Uh, obviously, tcoflyfishing.com uh, is a great place to start. There you can sign up for our email mailing list. Um, we're on Facebook, social media stuff as far as Instagram. Um, you can find us, again, TCO Fly Shop, TCO Fly Fishing across the board. And always keep an eye out again pr- primarily email is, is is one of the better ways but if you're in the area just stop by the shops you know ask us see what's going on see what we're doing see what's happening and uh see if there's anything you might be interested in trying to get involved in that's awesome um let's go let's go back in time a little bit now though uh let's All go right. back to 
Let's go back to Penn State because I actually have a fond memory of you. Um, that no, it's not that bad um, because we actually met, and I didn't actually even go that many. But there was a fly fishing club by um, Greg Hoover. Yep. Um, and that's actually my first interaction with George Daniels as well, which I I, I wish I knew him better. But um, I remember he came in and gave us a lesson on dynamic nymphing. And he's, he, he brought in some crazy Arctic material. Uh, and I didn't know who you were at the time, but he basically lifted up and said, let, let me know who, who knows their stuff in here. Who knows what this is? And like the room was silent because it was something crazy that like only George Daniel ties with. And I remember you like shrugged off and just raised your hand and said like, that's this thing. And I was like, what, who, the, who the hell is this guy? Where did this guy come from? But uh, that was before I knew you were in cahoots with him. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know you were with working with him at that time. Um, uh, ironically enough, so that was that was actually Lance Wilt. Oh, was it? It was indeed. Yeah. So I remember that meeting pretty fondly, actually, because I, I I I do get my my stones busted quite a good bit about uh, <laughs> raising my hand that night. But really? Lance Wilt, and he was a uh, time with Australian Possum. That was it. That was it. Yes, yeah, you're right. It wasn't George Daniels. He had a big yeah. pelt of it. I never seen a pelt that big of Australian possum. I always get it in tiny little chunks from like Wapsie fly tying. Yeah. And, uh, he said, you know, a guy in, in Michigan uses this a lot. Anyone know, you know, what this is or who that is? And I said, Kevin Feenstra from Michigan, and that's Australian possum. And uh, yeah, he ended up. He gave me a couple of stickers. They had like the trout with the eight one four. That's right. He did. Yeah. That's funny, yeah, but. Pretty, uh, that was a long time ago for sure but it was yeah but it, but it was nice because we got some exposure to all these greats so we um, did indeed yeah it was, a, it was a great program and great great area out there a lot of, but, lot of but, fantastic fishermen from central pennsylvania yeah so when we were out there though i mean you spent a lot of time with george daniels and paul weimer um give us give us your two cents on what they've taught you and 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 in a sense of i'm guessing dynamic nymphing is one of them because that's george daniels bread and butter but um what did you learn from those guys anything you could share oh i mean a ton honestly to, to just pinpoint what i really learned from from both of them they're they're two very very different characters um involved in the same in the same game obviously um you know george is is one of the the most you know unassuming humble people you'll ever meet but a really really fantastic angler um taught me a lot about you know, reading water and how a lot of things are interconnected, you know, by getting, getting to understand how to use a, a tight line nymphing rig, a, a, you know, European nymphing rig, whatever you want to call it, a contact nymphing rig, I believe is recently what Georgie's calling them now, but um, how, how that over, overall, when you understand how that works in the water, you become a better dry fly fisherman, dry dropper fisherman, indicator fishermen streamer fishermen there's there's just a lot of inter interconnected and interrelated things there uh and being willing to change as you you continue to mention dynamic nymphing uh like you said being willing to adapt and change the conditions don't be lazy make the adjustment with your indicator make the adjustment with your weight uh with whatever you might need to do if you really have if you have a, a shred of doubt in your head that if changing this would make a difference do it um take the time and be patient and and be willing to change and and let the water and the fish tell you what to do. That's probably the, the, the number one thing I learned from, from George is to don't think you know it all. Um, you know, I tell people often, shut up and listen. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of, you know, obviously never once said to me from, from George, he was a, like you said, he's a, he's a great guy, but um, 
really just the the ability to take what the river and what the fish are giving you uh and, and instead of trying to impose upon the river and the fish um as far as paul goes uh paul is is one of the smartest people i've ever met probably he is uh the quickest wit of almost anyone i've certainly ever met um but paul taught me to understand and appreciate bugs in a different way um when i was younger i thought it was impressive to be able to memorize you know latin names and uh you know knowing the difference between you know a a, a, a green drake or a brown drake and a slate drake etc cetera, etc cetera. all that stuff was you know fairly important to me just because i thought it was interesting i guess um and paul made me realize that understanding the science behind bugs obviously as you can certainly attest to the science behind bugs really can impact how you fish them and why you would fish them. You know, oftentimes I get people that come in, uh, you know, asking why do people recommend to swing an ISO nymph? Um, well, because ISOs are swimmers. Uh, they're up in the column, they're moving around. Uh, bluing olives, you know, a lot of the, the betas family obviously are up and swimming and moving around things of the above. So understanding why, you know, bugs do certain things bug behavior impacts so much uh, as far as where you target fish stone flies are hatching on the yellowstone river and you know the water's really high and off color are you going to be on the banks or out in the deeper water you can probably catch fish in many places but those fish know those bugs are crawling to the edges they are in the shallow fast stuff just trying to eat stone flies so you know, again, stepping back and, and letting the river tell you what to do, but also using other cues instead of just what you see with water or what you see with, you know, water clarity conditions. Look at what the bugs are doing, what bugs are around and, and how are they impacting what the trout are doing. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a interconnected thing. They work hand in hand back and forth for sure. Man, listen, this makes me feel like I'm in kindergarten compared to you guys. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that was very profound from Lenny right there. That was, that I, was, was like, I, I was like, I was like, I swear I just sat in like a professor's class. He literally just broke it down to me. I'm like, huh? Oh, that I'm is, still very much so merely a student of some real professors for sure. That is though one of the hardest things, I think. My myself and I'll throw my dad in the mix here too, because he's he's the epitome of this. When we go onto a stream and he has a great day with one nymph. Um, and we go back the next day and I mean, he will fish that nymph until he dies. And I'm like, it's a different day. You gotta, we gotta change here, dad. We gotta put a split shot on. Maybe they're deeper now. Maybe they're, they're eating something else. Like you gotta change and that's it. He's, he's stuck. That's it. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's no dynamic to him. It was like, this was it yesterday. It's going to be it today. And, uh, and we know it's not how fly fishing is. So nope. Quite frankly, that's not how any fishing is. You know, yeah. as I've, you know, in the last few years, I've gotten back into a, a quite a good bit of conventional fishing. Just, uh, you know, that was something I started fly fishing, like I said, at a real pretty young age. And I never really got that well versed uh, with conventional fishing. On the other hand, nowadays I am. <laughs> and it's, it's taught me a lot, again, about fly fishing, just seeing how you can learn from both sides of the argument right there. Um, and no matter what you think, like, oh, you're going out there and you're, you're throwing, you know, Rapalas and you know, jerk shads and all this stuff where it's no matter what, they're going to eat it. No, they still do not always no. eat it. It's fishing is fishing is fishing. It, it's never a given. Uh, and you have to be willing to uh, change and adapt every day. And I think that 
you know, my experience with fly fishing and, and guiding and, and so many hours of, of just fishing in general, you start to get a sense and a feel for a lot of that stuff that applies to a lot of other fisheries that you might not think so. Um, so, so it sounds like it used to be fly or die for you, but not so much anymore. Uh, yeah, it was for a lot of years, honestly. Um, that was about the only, uh, <laughs> the only way I fished. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I grew up again, doing a little bit of everything with my dad at a pretty young age, my cousins and stuff. But once I really got, you know, kind of heavily hooked on fly fishing, it was, there was no turning back. It was, it was pretty bad. Um, I went, you know, full fledged all in, you know, tying and you know, trying to cast a, as many different ways as I could two hand casting, you know, spay rods at a pretty young age. And again, a lot of, a lot of really helpful people there, you know, Steve Spurgeon, I mentioned earlier, been a big, big influence in a lot of my spay fishing and uh, just, you know, it's been cool to, to do a lot of that stuff, but there's a time and a place for everything. Um, I've spent too many days getting worked by weather and wind and, you know, just struggling, you know, fisher at, at depth or whatever it may be where I, I just can't do it with a fly rod. And I see people all around me uh, hooked up. So I've kind of become a little bit more willing to, to play with the other stuff. And uh, like, like I said, the last two or three years has been really, really eye-opening as far as most of my kind of saltwater stuff. I, I really, really like tuna fishing. <laughs> Like really like tuna fishing. Uh, he got he got bit he got he got bit by the tuna bug. Yeah, I, I'm not ready for that, but yeah, I kind of feel that way. I find myself doing that too because I flat fish a lot on on my skiff, and it's it's like I'll 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 pick up my fly rod and I'll throw it all day, and I'm just like I I I gotta get a fish on a fly rod. I won't put it down. I won't put it down. Like it's, I'm hard. I'm like stubborn about it, but I know if I pick up my spin rod right now, I'll easily pick up a few fish, but I'm just like, I keep just telling myself, I'm going to catch a fish off this fly sooner or later. Yeah. It's, it, I get pretty stubborn about it, but I've learned in the past year or so, like, you know, if the, if the weather doesn't call for it, put it down and just pick up a spin rod. Yeah. You know, that's a, it's an, a, an argument I, my buddies and I have all the time, you know, if you want to fly fish, you know, you're not going to catch them on a fly rod if you're not fly fishing. Simple as that for sure. If you really do want to catch them, you got to be out there with a fly rod a lot. And no matter what, you're right. I mean, there's always going to be a time and a place where the spinning rod will outperform. But, you know, there are certain fisheries where for me, again, like if I'm, let's look at false albacore, for instance, mm -hmm. like I love albies. That's like, a, that's again, that's where the whole tuna thing started, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, again, thanks to Steve Spurgeon. Um, but he, uh, you know, when, I, when I've gotten into alley fishing, I really, really prefer to catch albies on a fly rod. Um, if I could catch 10 or 20 or 15 or 100 almost on a spin rod, I'd rather take a couple on a fly rod. To me, that's just like a much more, they're just built for fly fishing, in my opinion. Tuna, on the other hand, not so much built for fly fishing. So that's why I've really been able to, I guess, swallow that pill a little bit easier. So there's, a, like I said, a time and a place for both, but if given the chance, I'm still, you know, going to try to, to fly fish quite a good bit. No doubt. Yeah. That that's, that's my feeling as well. And I said this in a previous episode that um, I usually end up using what's going to work best. And, and Albies is actually an interesting case. I didn't really think about it at the time um, because they're usually eating smaller baits, right? They're usually eating rainfish, rain, or rainfish, yeah. right? 
Um, so that is one of the times where I think the fly rod, if you could reach them, mm-hmm. which I think is the biggest problem, would would definitely outperform the spin rod. Um, but but then you're right for tuna. I mean, you could bait them in and and, and maybe get them in there close enough and get lucky. But uh, it's not something I've even tried yet. Have you even attempted it yet? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we've we've uh, my 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 buddy who has a boat, uh, my friend Ian. He's he's definitely he's caught quite a few as have a few of our other friends actually caught quite a few of them on fly rods already um nothing too too large i think the biggest they've landed is like a i want to say 120 pound bluefin maybe oh, that's a good fish that's a good that's fish. Still a really good fish yeah i mean it's, yeah. it's you know if not an over it's darn close for sure i think it was just over i think maybe uh you know 49 50 something like that so uh you know a super super quality fish but many many hours uh, you know, what, what would take you 15, 20, 30 minutes, maybe, uh, on the right, you know, <laughs> popping setup ended up taking them almost five hours, I think with a 16 yeah. weight fly rod. So it's just a different program. If there were smaller fish around, which unfortunately there were for, uh, you know, maybe a week and a half this year, I just couldn't, couldn't line it up with work and my schedule, et cetera. But I know quite a few people that were able to get into some small bluefin on super light tackle, you know, 4,000, 5,000 size reels and, um, you know, <laughs> legit, you know, nine, 10, 11 weight fly rods, just the perfect, perfect thing, you know, just yeah. Aldi's plus. And um, so there's a, again, a time and a place for that. But, you know, if I get, if I got a bunch of 40 inch fish blitzing on the surface, you better believe I'm dropping a 16 weight in there. <laughs> no question about it. Man, those things, those things scare me. I was out striper fishing, bass fishing last week. Yeah, we were in a good massive school, like 40, 45 inch fish bailing. We were bailing 45 inch stripers uh, out of nowhere to like on the, like probably 15, 20 feet away from us, three bluefins breached the bunker school and literally they're, they're, they were talking about these like 100, 150 pound class fish like breach right out of the air like dude seeing them on tv is one thing but like seeing them right next to you boat like 20 feet away scares the heck out of you yeah man i mean like i said i i was fortunate enough to hook some really really big fish this year on poppers uh and yeah seeing them i had one completely you know air out on a uh, ironically enough one of these guys right here <laughs> uh, a mad manis uh, one mad of the manis it's the large with that new uh the big cupping yeah, the big head front, that, yeah that thing pushes water yeah you know bkk raptor z's you know the whole the whole program and i got a bunch of those things floating around my bedroom here but uh those you know those fish are, are pretty 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 gnarly pretty scary we fought one for pushing three hours and just eventually broke it off but there's it's a it's a really fun game it's it's you know, it's a lot like hunting to me. That's another thing I used to spend a lot of time doing and not quite so much the last few years. I like to bird hunt a little bit now, but um, yeah, it's, it's really a, uh, it's a fun, fun, dangerous game for sure. And expensive. We didn't mention that part. That's what I mean by dangerous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just dangerous for your wallet, for sure. Yeah. Wallets and relationships. <laughs> oh man. All right. Let's, uh, let's bring it back local for a moment now. Um, because you're in the Bryn Mawr, Philadelphia area, so cabin fever is going. Cabin fever is going to be starting here any minute, as we're getting into these colder months and the stripers are going away. Um, where where do you go to scratch that itch if you need to? I mean, locally, that is. I don't know if you're running up to 
Pulaski or something, but what what are you doing, especially for the novice? What's around? Um, and then give me your, your favorite piece of water too. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, being in the Philadelphia, you know, general vicinity here, it, it's, it's pretty nice that we're close ish to a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, if you're willing to put in a little bit of windshield time, you can find a lot of different opportunities. Um, you mentioned Pulaski, New York. I do spend quite a good bit of time up there. I've just been up there the last couple of days earlier this week uh, doing some steelhead fishing and that's super fun. You know, that's about a four to four and a half hour run from Philadelphia. So it's not close, but it's doable for sure for a, a weekend, but locally um, it depends on what you're looking to do. Uh, winter time is a little bit tougher in our general vicinity. In the spring, we've got a lot of opportunities close to, you know, let's say Philadelphia, like downtown Philly, no problem. Uh, you have a variety of different creeks that are stocked pretty darn heavily. Like, uh, you know, even within city limits, the Wissahickon, uh, you've got uh, obviously Chester Creek, Crumb Creek, Darby Creek, Ridley Creek, uh, you know, Neshaminy, you name it. There's a bunch of stuff within, let's say, 45 minutes to an hour of, you know, downtown center city where you can find plenty of opportunities, usually from the opening day of trout season, which is typically early April uh, through, you know, kind of the middle of June, end of June, beginning of July, depending upon the year. Um, so plenty of opportunities there for specifically trout fishing. Uh, during the winter, we're really looking primarily at just the fall stocked creeks. So you'd have uh, like the fly fishing only catch and release section on Ridley Creek. Uh, over by Media, Pennsylvania. That's, again, not too terribly far from uh, Philly. Uh, that gets stocked pretty heavily in the fall by both the state and the private club. I believe it's called the like Delco Anglers. Um, they have a small hatchery back there. They dump a bunch of fish in there. So it just provides some opportunities, uh, even in the coldest of cold. Uh, Valley Creek over in Valley Forge National Park is always another option. That's a little spring creek uh, in the middle of the national park. It's open to fishing year round. It's 100% catch and release, uh, small wild brown trout, pretty heavily pressured and pretty darn technical, quite frankly. Uh, sees again, a lot of people, it's the one of the few, if not the only consistent place to catch wild brown trout really within, let's say 30 to 45 minutes of, again, center city. So there's just a ton of people and it sees, you know, a fair bit of pressure. Once you get into the colder months in the winter, you don't see a ton over there, but you know, we try to lay off them usually late fall right around now uh, as the fish are spawning. It's again, a wild Creek. So we want to kind of leave them alone, let their, let them do their thing. And then once uh, that wraps up, you know, the winter can be, you know, you'll have a couple hour window maybe throughout the, the warmer, warmer part of the day where you're going to be able to catch some fish and, you know, again, get out and kind of scratch that itch uh, a little bit further. You have like Pickering Creek or French Creek again, both out court, kind of closer to Downingtown, Phoenixville area. Those places are stocked in the fall. And if you're willing to drive a little bit further north, the Lehigh Valley, places like Little Lehigh Creek um, are, again, spring creeks that are going to fish pretty darn well throughout the course of the winter. Um, in the city, the bass fishing, the striper fishing, the shad fishing, even like I said, there are resident bass that stay in the Schuylkill and the you know, resident stripers that are that stay in the lower end of the Schuylkill and the Delaware. It's pretty darn dismal down there in the, the depths of the wintertime. Obviously, you'll even get ice flows and stuff like that down there. So um, you're kind of looking at trout or bust a little bit in the wintertime for us around here, unless you're willing to do a little bit more driving. Um, 
as far as my favorite place, I believe you were asking, favorite piece of water around. Um, you can, you can go out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I would say I really, in central Pennsylvania, there's a lot of cool stuff out there, but I, I like Penn's Creek is, is kind of a good one for sure. Uh, it sees a ton of pressure anymore. Unfortunately, it, it just, it's, it's not, it's not the quaint middle of the woods, middle of nowhere place that everyone thinks it is anymore, unfortunately, but it's still a, a cool piece of water. Um, but overall, I mean, you know, the Atlantic ocean is pretty darn cool. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff going on over there. Uh, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I, that's a tough one, man. Honestly, uh, like I said, as far as central PA, like we're, since we were talking about it earlier, I probably like pens my, my favorite of the, of the big four out there. Um, I, I never really did too much fishing in Penn's Creek when I sat there. I was stuck at Spring Creek a yeah. lot. Um, yeah, Spring is fantastic, and, and you know it's way more consistent. Penn's is way, that, more, it's way that's, harder. Yeah, that's that's why I was at Spring because it is so much more consistent. I mean, there's hatches there almost daily. You can fish it throughout the summer, uh, and, and Penn's was kind of a conundrum to me because it really has thermal problems a lot. Totally, um, totally, and that's and, and that's why I almost hesitate to say anything about it. Quite frankly, it's. It's, it's not, again, what it once was, unfortunately, but it's, it's, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a unique fishery for sure. But yeah, it gets warm, it gets high. You know, that's the same creek that you'll see that USGS, you know, gauge will be as low as 80 uh, or 50, even on a really, really bad summer. And then it'll be 5,000, you know, just a few months or a few weeks beforehand. So it fluctuates in the biggest of ways. It's a really, really kind of technical, brutal place sometimes, but it's, it is cool for sure. Yeah, I've never, the Drake Hatch is legendary out there, and I've never fished it, mostly because it happened, like, we would leave for, right, finals would happen in May, and then we would go home, so I've never, yeah. I never was there for it, but I hear it's legendary, I mean, it sounds like it's a Salmon River kind of ish when it's, when it's popping, right? Absolutely, very, very good, <laughs> great example, quite frankly, yeah, in many yeah. ways, unfortunately. Um, go, so let's go back to, to, to winter fishing, um, because that is the time of year we're in. What is your technique? And I mean, I can give you mine because I'm either going really small or I'm going really big with junk flies, as, <laughs> as you might call them, you know, the squirmy worm and the mops fly, um, some giant piece of meat that they just can't say no to. So, so what, do you, what do you do in the winter and how do you get these trout to bite? Uh, I mean, that's going to depend a little bit on the individual fishery, right? So you're going to look at you know, clarity, uh, depth, current, uh, temperature, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But really, um, yeah, I'm kind of in that similar, similar ballpark. I'm fishing a lot of small, slender mayfly nymphs, you know, some sort of a blueing olive profile, anywhere from, you know, let's say a 16 to a 20 pretty consistently, uh, fish midges, um, I'll fish stoneflies on the bigger freestoners or larger kind of limestone spring creeks that have them like pens or little J. Um, I'll do a occasional kind of streamer dead drift program during the winter time, but um, you know, eggs, mops, squirmies are certainly in the arsenal for me as well. There's no question about it. I'm, I'm certainly not above it by any means. Um, and I'll still fish streamers quite a good bit as well. Uh, you'd be surprised at what you can do with a dead drift streamer, as I mentioned, or uh, even just a stripped or jig streamer. Um, you know, fish respond to pretty subtle changes. Uh, if you're out on a day where you see water temperatures go from, let's say, 37 to 39, I promise you a fish will eat a streamer at 39 if presented the right way. 
that small little change, they're very keyed up to eat during that small window of time. Uh, people talk about bite windows being an atmospheric pressure thing or a light thing or a temperature thing or a combination uh, of all the above. And, and it, it may be, but um, I definitely see, you know, as soon as fish start seeing and, and feeling that water temperature going up, they're usually eating in a cold water scenario like that for sure. Um, so just kind of knowing where you're at and, and where, or, you know, dependent upon where I'm at too, uh, other places that have, say we're talking about South Central PA where I work in, in Boiling Springs. If we're, we're going to look at any of the spring creeks there, I'm going to be fishing a lot more in the way of sow bugs and crest bugs, you know, freshwater crustaceans that are there all the, all the time, isopods, you know, so that's a year round consistent food source for those fish. You don't have to fish tiny, tiny imitations as you know, they're freshly hatched bugs. Let's say, you know, they, they're laid as eggs and they're getting bigger. So you can get away with a larger imitation, a bigger hook, specifically if you're dealing with big water or bigger fish. Um, again, eggs are a, you know, a natural representation of, of what's going on in the water. We, you know, we really try to avoid fishing to fish that are actively spawning and, and, you know, there's a time and a place to, you know, leave the fish alone and, you know, you can fish behind reds, you know, if you go away from, from what's going on, I don't really have too much of a problem with that stuff. Just leave the big ones up there doing what they're doing alone. Um, and uh, like I said, if you have stoneflies on all, on average, I, I believe a lot of those bugs are two-year bugs, you know, meaning they're in the water for, for quite some time. So fish recognize that silhouette, that shape, that profile of a stonefly, uh, even when there's very little, relatively speaking, other bug activity going on around them. Uh, a, a stonefly is oftentimes enough to, you know, it's enough of a meal, it's enough of a confidence pattern for them, just like it is maybe for us uh, to consistently go over there and, and eat the darn thing, so. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I'll, maybe I'll let out a secret here because my, my go-to fly on Spring Creek during the winter, I mean, snow would be coming down. It'd be a blistery day where it was just breaking 32 would be the good old fashioned woolly bugger. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they definitely will eat them in the winter. I mean, it's a big food source. I mean, sculpting right on the bank. Um, and there's been days where I, that place is loaded with people in the winter or, or year round almost. I mean, they see a lot of pressure. Uh, and I just had this this feeling that they just don't see woolly buggers a ton in the winter because everyone's fishing small midges and small blue winged olive patterns. Um, so I would put one on. And I mean, I had guys looking at me like I was crazy until I started whacking fish left and right. And then they would put on a woolly bugger. You know, it's kind of like a chain reaction, which I like as well, because then you can look up the stream and everyone switches over. And um, but I fish quite a few streamers in the winter as well. Uh, it's it's a it, it's it's good. It keeps you moving too, instead of just dead drifting and keeps you warm and, and so forth. So. Absolutely. All right, well, Big for a bigger, bigger fish. Yep. Yeah. So speaking from my side, cause I'm still only new in this game. I mean, Bobby's only been yelling at me for like two years now about fly fishing. So <laughs> pretty much uh, he's the, he's the type of guy just look, just shut up and listen to what I tell you, or you ain't going to catch any fish. I mean, that's, that's how he's been hard schooling me. So I mean, I appreciate it though. But uh, so like me, a new guy walks into a shop. What's one solid piece of advice you can give to them? Like, uh, be willing to be willing to change. Like I said, honestly, earlier before, you know, I see so many people that, you know, they, they go out and they get rigged up and, you know, it, it takes them a long time, right? Like tying knots with very fine tippet, you know, our leader material is, is it's a little bit frustrating. It's a little bit intimidating at first for a lot of people. And, 
I see so many people that rig up and they just think, all right, this is, this is it. And they just flail away and flail away in the same spot. And they just keep doing it over and over. When in reality, maybe even the rig they have isn't all that bad. They just need to step up five feet or down 20 yards or whatever it may be. Just be willing to change, be willing to move, be willing to accept that you're going to, you're going to struggle at first. I tell people, you know, embrace the suck. There is no shortcut to, to not being bad. Uh, there really is no silver bullet. I've seen a couple people throughout the course of the, you know, decade plus that I've been, you know, working in the shop that have picked up fly casting very quickly or have picked up fly tying very quickly. Um, you know, like Holodi Nata, a, a former Philadelphia Eagle, Baltimore Raven, uh, you know, NFL defensive lineman. You know, I taught him how to tie flies in an hour. The guy was, you know, he's massive, massive man with these giant hands. And he was able to just perfectly crank out these little nymphs like pretty darn quick. Um, so it's, it's, you know, there are people who pick it up fast, but on average, most people are just not going to be good at it, at it in the beginning. And that's just part of the entire experience. You know, they're, like I said, there's no shortcut to doing it. You have to go out and work at it. You have to go fishing. You have to get tangled in the trees. You have to understand oh, I got tangled in the trees because I did this. Let's not do this the next time. You have to reinforce those lessons and just get better at it. Um, so like I said, don't get frustrated and be willing to change and adapt uh, would be the, the number one piece of advice I'd give to anyone getting into really any kind of outdoor pursuit, you know, uh, whether that might, might be you know, spin fishing or fly fishing or bow hunting or what, you name it. If you're going to try, you have to be willing to accept failure and, and change and, and try to learn from it, so. Gotcha. So disagree um, with, I disagree with one point you said there, which was the trees. They're alive and they move and they like <laughs> flies. Okay. Like they eat flies. They now, eat I don't flies know what you're lunch. talking about. I'm just always in the tree. It's, it's I, I, I like that saying embrace the suck, but those trees, they like flies. I'll tell you, they, they like flies. Going to trout, okay. No doubt. I mean, there it's, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to, to get, get by through a full day without putting at least one up in a tree, but it happens to everybody. And that's the thing I, I tell my clients all the time when I'm guiding, you know, I'll say, Hey, let me show, let me show you something. I grab that rod. I'll make one cast and put it right in the damn tree. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, one of those things where, you know, no matter what it happens to everyone, you do this long enough, you know, people that say I've never fallen in or I don't get caught in the trees. I say, you either don't, you don't fish or you're lying. There's just, there's only two options. Yeah. yeah. My favorite is when you, it was when you tie on three flies, oh. land in a tree, break it off, and then tie on three flies and do the exact same thing you just did. You learned nothing, right? You know well, you did something wrong true. the first time, and then there are six flies gone in an instant, right? So Yeah, so true. Yeah, so, I mean, like, there's, there's a saying that we follow on our podcast all the time. It's, um, if you don't know what you're doing, find a guide. Find someone that knows that what they're doing, learn from them. That's their job. You know, they teach you the basics from day one. Um, I mean, you said a little bit backstory, a little bit, you started guiding when you were 16. Are you still guiding now? And if that you were, are guiding now, how can someone find you to reach out to you to, you know? Absolutely. So uh, I, I still do uh, a decent bit of guiding, but uh, not, not a ton compared to, you know, what I would like to do or what I was doing in the past. Um, you know, work has just kept me a little bit busier. Uh, like I said, working between the two shops and, uh, you know, running those two locations, it's a little bit more of a time consuming uh, operation these days. Um, but, you know, TCO, again, as a fly shop, I mean, we have 
a ton, a ton of, of really, really talented guides across all of our locations. Regardless of what you want to go fishing for, almost pretty much anywhere around here, <laughs> across most of the state, we can get you out there and, and get you hooked up with somebody. Uh, so, so again, just the same place we were talking before, tcoflyfishing.com, you know, reach out and, uh, you know, stop into any of our four shops, State College, Redding, uh, really West Lawn, Pennsylvania, technically, uh, Boiling Springs, and Bryn Mawr. So just swing on by, give us a call, reach out via email, Instagram, whatever. We'll, we'll try to get back to you and get you out there on the water and showing you what, what you got to be doing. Awesome. Like, like I always said, guys, um, if you guys really want to get into sport and you want to learn from day one, um, I mean, yeah, you can walk into a shop, ask, you know, ask Lenny, you know, what's your most expensive setup in the world. So he'll sell it to you because, you know, it's a shop. Um, but at the same time, you're not going to bring that $900 free Orvis rod out to the, to the stream and catch a, a trout instantly. It's not going to work that way. Uh, you're better off spending half that money on a decent setup. The other half spending on a decent guide. And let him take you out in the water and literally show you from, from the beginning to the end, everything from flying why you why are you choosing the floating line why are you using this tippet why are you using this fly so on and so forth because they're gonna like yeah they're gonna put you on fish but at the same time they're gonna teach you and that's that's worth more than itself because any i mean you can go out on your own and find fish but why not learn it from from the best from the beginning you know what i mean absolutely bad habits are are, are really really hard to break uh, i tell people all the time if you were just willing to you know, maybe come and, and get a trip or get some lessons early. I mean, look at, look at the best athletes in the world, right? Whether that's the NBA or the NFL or, you know, the PGA tour or you name it. I mean, those guys and, and women, obviously men and women are constantly getting tons and tons and tons of coaching and, and advice and lessons and, you know, training in the off season, all the above even if you're an experienced angler come in and, and maybe try to get a fly casting lesson from somebody who maybe knows a little bit more about it than you. Maybe you can make an 80 foot cast. Well, maybe we can make a hundred foot cast, you know, maybe you can do it in four back cast. Well, maybe I can do it in two. Um, so there's always something to be learned. And, and that comes from, you know, really myself, like I said, I'm still constantly learning from customers, from other guides, from other, you know, anglers across the board. Uh, be willing to to come in and do that. And I, like I said, could not agree more with the fact that if you if you spend a little bit more time and effort in the beginning, um, it's going to pay dividends in the long term. Like I said, learn the correct way to start, uh, and you're going to be much happier uh, as you try it. If you really stick with this, like I said, bad habits are hard, hard to break. It's much easier to just learn the right way from the start. Definitely. Uh, this is a question that, I mean, I, we talked to Bobby about it a while back and he definitely read a whole article, but, uh, we want to know, I want to know what your outlook on it. Um, about the cicada hatch hatch this year, not the, the media hype it up more than it was supposed to be. And, uh, I mean, we live in an area that's littered with lanternflies. Have you noticed fish actually eating them? Okay. So as far as the cicada hatch, did things get overhyped? Uh, I'm going to say yes and no. That's a split decision. Uh, my company. That's not answer. That's... <laughs> I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you exactly why. I'll tell you exactly why. My company certainly marketed quite a good bit of, of talk about cicadas. And I got to be honest, I saw and witnessed, you know, there were places that it was mental, insane, bonkers, off the wall good. I also saw places 
a quarter of a mile, uh, a half mile away that there was not a single cicada to be seen or heard. It was really, really interestingly enough sporadic um, <laughs> this year for some reason. Uh, I have not been able to experience a ton of periodical cicada hatches, but you know, I've gotten my taste of a, a couple things here and there across the board. And, you know, I, I think the number one thing that I would think about this go around is if you look back to, again, there's 17 year bugs, right? 17 years ago, when we talk about the fishing in this area, the cicadas in the yellow breaches, the cicadas on the Latour, the cicadas on the Juniata, the cicadas on the Susquehanna for this brood, there wasn't social media. There wasn't the same level of, you know, internet connectivity. There wasn't any of the above. And if there was, you know, I mean, clearly there was internet 17 years ago, but it wasn't the same thing. And, you know, so I, I think that just the inherent nature of, you know, a higher level of technology has led to a lot of, I don't want to say that it was like a forced overhyping, but just the fact that everybody talked about it, you know, it's just the first time that any of this has ever been around at the same time, you know, those two concurrent things. Uh, and I think we're going to see the same thing when it comes to, you know, other parts of the state and other parts of the country over the next couple of years. You're going to say, oh, cicadas, the cicadas. And I think, you know, I, I almost hope it's like a boy who cried wolf situation where eventually everyone just gives up on it. And then one year it's insane. And then, I, that, and then that happens. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's just one of those things. It's, it's just fishing. You know, I, I don't think that you can really nail down you know, maybe the cicada fishing was super good in the middle of the night. Maybe the cicada fishing, like I, I wasn't out there enough to definitively say, was it good or bad? Um, but I, I do agree. There was a lot of talk about it. I said overhyped. I don't know, but heavily, heavily hyped. Certainly, certainly. I'm, I'm, guilty, of it. I'm guilty of it as well. So I wrote an article about it. I think it was going to be great. And what, what, what's funny is um, the places I saw it happening just were not near water i mean there was just very very everywhere they were everywhere but there was there was no water around and i was like well this is this is cool like you can see them emerging and you can see them everywhere and they're you're driving like it's it's, it's they're everywhere all over your cars and just no water around and i was i was mesmerized by it but at the same time i was a little bit sad because i was like just just go a half mile downstream please just go a half mile down the road and, and we'll be set right yeah absolutely that happened a ton a ton but there were a couple places where, like I said, it coincided, and pretty yeah. unique. Man. It's pretty fun. How about the uh, how, about, how about the whole lantern fly issue, though? Did, yeah, the, so, do, you, do you think that made a big difference in any of the uh, the fisheries we have around here? I mean, I, I can speak on this first because you can see my article right behind me. Um, yeah. Read it. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a gift from one of my buddies um, because I've noticed that trout were eating them, but it's kind of been a mixed bag, I feel like, in the way that people are thinking about them. Um, and you happen to live in an area where Philadelphia was inundated with them. I mean, they were, you couldn't walk around without squishing one of those things. Um, so, so all those little streams, I felt, really were good. But, but at the same time, uh, I mean, they're not wild fish. Um, so, I mean, if you throw on something big and pink, <laughs> you know, so most of the time they're going to crush it anyway, right? So, um, give me your thoughts on it. And then, really, does, does TCO even have a lanternfly pattern? Because I've started tying them myself because of it. Um, but I haven't seen, like, a commercial pattern that's been made yet. Absolutely. So, um, 
do I think fish are eating them? Yes, absolutely. Uh, have I consistently seen it all the time where they like key in on lanternflies to the same extent that they were cicadas in certain areas at certain times? No, I would not say not. I have not. But that's not to say it's not happening. Again, I have a hard time dealing in absolutes when it comes to anything with fishing. Never say never and never say always. Um, they're, they're just two not good words uh, in the realm of fishing, in my experience. And, you know, I think that there's probably a situation where, yeah, fish are definitely up and eating those things pretty darn consistently. Have I seen a few of them do it for sure? You mentioned that these fish are not wild. If you fed them something pink, that maybe that, that would be the case. But I will say, um, you know, I've had plenty of wild fish over the years that have come up and eaten big, pink, silly, goofy foam things too. Um, so <laughs> I think people oftentimes give fish a little bit more credit as far as individual fly patterns go. I've had days where, yeah, they really want one thing over another. And there are times when they will not eat other things when they probably would eat another. But in general, if you get things pretty darn close, I mean, the way I look at it is if you throw out a big black grasshopper pattern or in theory let's call it a cricket pattern i bet you they'd eat that as a lantern fly if you were throwing just a black chubby chernobyl or a you know a basic chernobyl ant i bet you they would probably eat that as a lantern fly in the right situation so um yeah it's definitely a new food food source for for, for fish there's no question about it i would say that you will definitely probably see some more of that i will say that i saw fewer of them this year in a large way than i did the last time um, yeah me too so that's a good that's a good sign i hope i fingers crossed i'm not so sure about that but um you know yeah it's a, it's definitely just another unique thing to to think about and try and your final question no we do not have a lantern fly pattern um i we had a local guy in the boiling spring shop tie a, a you know a couple dozen of them maybe uh and we did sell them but we don't have anything that's readily available or consistently available uh, at any of the other locations to the best of my knowledge at least yep yep i have the same feeling though like i was throwing this lantern fly pattern but what's funny is they're they got a red underwing right so um the the brood x have that orange and black body and the lantern flies have that black and red body now um so so i don't know what the trap thought it was but you know they they strike them and whether they thought it was a lantern fly or a cicada or a grasshopper in my mind doesn't really matter matter thank god exactly so it's, no a, it's something big it's on top and it's protein for them they don't care they're hungry enough exactly. that we... they're, they're eating the splat is what i tell most of my clients most of the time they're not eating the individual pattern they're eating the splat and the profile you know they feel that they see that they hear that vibration essentially and um you know my favorite thing to do in, in low waters, if you can, you know, if you have some a pretty aggressive willing fish is, you know, splat a, a terrestrial, you know, to the side of them and downstream just a little bit and watch them just turn downstream and munch it. You know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty fun situation. So yeah, they're, they're, they're out there just eating food, not an individual fly a lot of times in my opinion. Pretty much. So, and, Step aside for the fishing a little bit. If you're not working at the shop and you're not fly tying, what other activities do you actually enjoy? Uh, well, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, I, I I do like to hunt quite a decent bit. I used to be a little bit, more, well, quite a good bit more uh, involved in it. Just you know, lack of time, like everything else in life. But uh, try to try to do a decent bit of waterfowl waterfowl hunting if I can. 
um, if I'm not fly fishing, I'm still fishing. Like I mentioned as well, I, you know, the, uh, the, the tuna bug is, is, uh, kind of year round all consuming at times. And, uh, <laughs> these fish seem to be here a lot, uh, which is kind of cool. So, um, that's been, that's been a lot of fun outside of that. Uh, I mean, most of my life kind of revolves around the outdoors. I'm either camping or hiking or, you know, exploring a new area as far as scouting for fishing or for hunting or one of the above. Uh, you know, I, I love, I love sports. Uh, still, I'm, I'm a pretty diehard football fan. Uh, I'm unfortunately a Penn State football fan. They continue to stomp on my heart most weeks. Um, I am also a pretty diehard Eagles fan again, continue to stomp on my heart most weeks. Um, yeah, so all of us. Rough year for me, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty heavily invested in the outdoors. There's not, a, there's not a whole lot else you're going to catch me outside of hunting or fishing. Cool. Uh, before we get into the next one, I had a question. Um, do you ever go down South, say Florida, like the keys and stuff? Do you tarpon fish, permit fish, bonefish, stuff like that? Absolutely. Yeah, I have for sure a little bit in the past. Um, you know, a good buddy of mine uh, grew up down in Florida, has a you know family place down there. And uh, we've gone down, done all kinds of, again, just offshore fishing, just, you know, bottom fishing with bait for American Red Snapper and Gag Grouper and all the above, you know, having fun doing that stuff. Uh, to definitely targeting, you know, snook and redfish and trout and, and uh, a tarpon bonefish permit, depending upon where we're at on a given trip. Um, I've been trying to get to Cuba for the last two and a half years almost. Um, you know, we do a good bit of hosted travel for the, through the company. Uh, and I've been trying to run a trip down to the northeastern portion of Cuba called Cayo Cruz, Cayo Romano, general, general vicinity out there. Uh, there's a really cool resort down there and, uh, it's, it's an all-inclusive kind of style, mainly geared towards European tourism. Uh, but they have a really small private fishing uh, program they run out there just 14 anglers per week uh, so that's seven boats each boat gets between 50 and 100 square kilometers of you know water to themselves every day tons of opportunity uh, great bone fishing great permit fishing great tarpon fishing all the above um so been trying to trying to get down and do that with some clients uh, again spend time in florida belize all the above so super fun areas and uh, definitely love the warmer climates as well as the Northeast salt, no doubt. Cool. That was going to be actually my next question. I was like, is TCO ever going to start, you know, putting together those, those like expedition trips, you know, like seven, 14 day trips with one of your special, like yourself or another couple of guides, you know, like a big group of guys going down there in one shot. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we do a quite a good bit of that. Um, currently, I mean, Throughout the course of the last like 15 years, I'll give you a brief example. I mean, we've done stuff anywhere from locally, Montana, Alaska, locally, meaning obviously in the, yeah. <laughs> the, just the, the United US, States, yeah. but, uh, you know, Montana, Alaska, Colorado, Wyoming, Idaho to uh, the Yukon up in obviously uh, Canada down to South America for extreme Southern South, Southern America, Patagonia style trout fishing to uh, Venezuela. Uh, Los Roques was like a, the kind of the bonefish capital of the world for a few years there. Unfortunately, it's a kind of a really, really challenging place to get to right now. Um, Belize, uh, Mexico, the Bahamas, you know, you name it. Uh, we've run a lot, again, Cuba a number of times in the past uh, with my boss and a number of, a number of other people. 
so we've done a lot of stuff uh, kind of across the board. Uh, and with our area, you know, just outside Philadelphia here, we're super lucky to have, you know, a clientele that, that has the ability to travel. So over the, the years, I've had a lot of experience of dealing with various customers, clients, and, and quite frankly, guides and lodges that are calling up and having us rig stuff for their, their people coming down to really kind of get a, a really good handle and grasp on a lot of different fisheries. Um, again, between the number of people that are in there, I've got a, you know, an employee, uh, this guy, Bob, is a, a, just a really well-rounded saltwater angler. Uh, spent a ton of time in a lot of off the beaten path kind of places, doing a lot of DIY flats fishing in, again, weird, kind of weird spots, but catching tons of fish and just, again, gaining a lot of experience, tons of guided fishing experience down there with the locals. So there's always somebody who's going to be able to kind of point you in the right direction based on just about anything, anywhere you're going, we're going to have some, some good intel and have the know-how and the, the wherewithal to put you together. So. Sounds good. And I feel, and I assume we, you, we can get all these upcoming trips or available trips on the TCO website, right? If you guys Absolutely. Yeah. Right now we, we're not going to have anything listed at the moment. Well, maybe not, not anything. We probably have a couple back up and listed again right now, just due to uh, kind of the COVID stuff. We yeah. had a, really put the kibosh on that for a while but um again in the future here you should definitely tune in and check out for or check check that area out for a, a lot of uh, forthcoming trips hopefully uh, again to a lot of different places you know i've got i've got some some high hopes of getting to a lot of different spots a lot of, a lot of different cool people so if you're a cool person you want to go fishing just uh, hit us up let's go definitely me and bobby are cool we're gonna go all right sounds like a plan <laughs> Uh, well, uh, here's one of our favorite questions. Always, we always ask this, um, since we're all dreamers, if you had the chance anywhere in the world, where are you going? How are you fishing it? And what are you going to do? Wow. Yeah. I mean, this question, uh, just really just kind of blew my mind. I was going so many different directions, <laughs> so many different things that I feel like I want to do. Uh, honestly, I think, the Seychelles is certainly high up on that list. Uh, some sort of out there. I don't want to go to, you know, St. Brandon's or I don't want to go to Alphonse anymore. Like I want to go find some like middle of nowhere. There is nothing there. Like fearing for my life kind of middle of nowhere fishing. I think that'd be super cool. Um, just the ability to catch, you know, big, powerful saltwater fish, very visually uh, oriented fisheries and, uh, just going to somewhere where again, not many people really step foot would be yeah. really, really kind of cool. Um, you know, Mongolia time and fishing also high on that list for me. Um, you know, Amazon peacock bass, you know, the Bolivia golden Dorado, you know, uh, Finland or Swedish Lapland Atlantic salmon, you, you name it. There's a ton, a ton of places I'd like to to, to go, but I think the, the, the Seychelles somewhere over there in that general vicinity would be cool because you just have a lot of variety. You know, you can yeah. flats fish uh, with a fly rod for, again, everything from GTs to blue trevally, golden trevally, uh, you know, parrot head or parrot bump fish or all the above or parrot. I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying at this point, but <laughs> there's all those crazy looking fish over there. You know, yeah. uh, Napoleons, I think they're called and all kinds of stuff where you can catch some really, really interesting fish with fly rods. Uh, and then you can go, you know, 10, 15 miles offshore and catch tuna out the wazoo to, uh, you know, milkfish and, 
you know, again, GTs on fly rods and spin rods and trolling. And it's just a really cool, unique, diverse fishery. Um, so I think that's probably what I'd have to say. Yeah, I think that was my, that was pretty much my buckle list to the seashells because you get the GTs on the flats, you got the the weird Queensland trigger fish that are like ginormous, and you get the the permits on like literally inches of water and all those. It's just, it's just one of those places like you're only out there for one reason and one reason only. Yeah, exactly. You're you only out there. Unplug from everything and just focus on fishing. That's it. It's just you, the guide, and that that's it. There's nothing else out there. Yeah, would be sick. Yeah would be sick cool uh before we start wrapping up bobby any anything else um no not really for me i mean i guess i could just throw in uh it was actually at one of your events um when you guys did the the fly fishing film tour i think it was in phoenixville actually it was indeed it was indeed yeah yeah i remember you were down there raft went off gifts but the thing that's on my bucket left after seeing that is those blue bastards in australia and new zealand oh yeah yeah they're I mean, they're named appropriately, right? So I would like to get a shot at them now. <laughs> yeah, super, super cool fishery down there too. I mean, you have the same, that's actually a great low key. That's almost like the next, uh, in many ways, the next Seychelles. You know, as the Seychelles continue to get developed and lodges get built, you know, there's probably some crazy stuff over on that side of the world as well. But uh, yeah, those those fish are absolutely insane. And, and that whole area, I mean, you can catch everything from Indo-Pacific permit, like we mentioned, to you know, many of the trevally species to all the above, you know, just really cool area. What's really cool about it though, as well, is you also have that shot at like giant New Zealand trout. Yeah, while you're there, just a crystal clear trout. water, right? You might as well do it while you're there, right? Hit the fresh and then hit the salt or vice versa. Um, one in a lifetime kind of chance, I think. The only problem is I feel like I need like about three or four months down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily. Man. All right. Well, this is where we start wrapping up. And um, please, Lenny, let us know all your social media plugs, websites, any shout outs and companies, you know, out there that you want to shout out to. Absolutely. I mean, like I said, I mean, uh, obviously TCO Fly Shop, uh, you know, we try to be uh, the most complete outfitter we can be on the East Coast here. We've got, you know, multiple locations, uh, tons, tons of staff, tons of experience, tons of knowledge, tons of guide, guided opportunities, hosted opportunities, all the stuff we mentioned. So tcoflyfishing.com, Instagram, again, TCO Fly Shop, uh, Facebook, TCO Fly Shop. Um, and, and really, like I said, just uh, if you're ever looking to get a hold of me, just give us a call at uh, the Bryn Mawr location. It's usually the best place to get a hold of me. Um, would love to help you guys in any way we can and uh again really appreciate you you, you two having me on the uh, podcast this evening yeah um, once again thank you lenny thank you for joining us all the helpful information about the shop you know it's, it's real hard to find it especially in philadelphia to find an actual fly shop that's four flies everyone else is just like yeah regular spin freshwater all that but like a designated fly shop is very hard to find like if you go further north yeah, there's a few there, here, there, but like literally a city that had, you know, a, a fly shop is it's keen for a lot of us. Absolutely, man. Like I said, really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, our check, come check us out in our brand new location. Like I said, right down 834 West Lancaster Avenue in Bryn Mawr, PA. Come on by. Yeah, good. I've definitely got to stop in there and check out the shop. Yeah. Th thanks, Lonnie. Appreciate it. Um, hopefully the stars align here. It is the most merry time of the year. So ducks align with stripers this time of the year. So 
if we can get you that again i was gonna say you really uh, got me pretty jealous the other day when you started posting that. i said man yeah well, man i almost i was this close to calling you but uh i had too many people on the boat at that point so um hopefully we can get out sometime this year and if not maybe the following year if so no, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, definitely, Lenny, there's always room on my skiff. You know what I mean? Springtime, my boat's going to be up in, in Raritan. So when those big breeders come in for the first couple of weeks in there, you're always welcome to my skiff. You know, I'll pull you around on flats and you just cast all day if you want. Right on, man. I was just saying, yeah, hopefully maybe I can teach you a few things about catching those things on some big fly rods. There we go. Wait. All right, brother. It's good much. seeing you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me have a good night. Uh, I'll definitely stop in the shop one of these days, see if you're there, poke my head in a little quick. Uh, but besides that, have a great night, man. Uh, thank you for coming on once again. Uh, me and Bobby's going to stay on a few moments to wrap up, but we'll see you next time, definitely. Cool. All right. Thanks again, gentlemen. Have a great night. All right, Lenny. We are. And stay, man. Let's go. See you. There you go. <laughs> have a good one. Thank you. Uh, all right. Looks like we wrapped up another awesome podcast for this evening. Lenny is a wealth of knowledge, Bobby. I think so, man. It's I told great. you, he's, he's a good guy. Great call on, you know, bringing him on as a guest. He's definitely tons of knowledge. Like when he started talking about bugs and the way they act, and I was just like, what? This feels like science class all over again. I feel like, I mean, I've known Lenny for a bunch of years now, but he's grown to be very profound. And, and, and some of his advice, I mean, I really like to shut up and listen. And he's not talking about shut up from talking, right? He's talking about listen to what's going on with the environment. If you're, if you're not catching fish, you're doing something wrong. So what's the water temperature? What's what's moving that day? Is the water off color, right? The clarity. Um, just, just take a moment, chill, and, and see what's happening in the environment. And then the other thing that was great was embrace the suck. <laughs> um, we all go through it uh i spend a lot of time i have one buddy who spends a lot more time in the trees than me shout out to jason um, shout out to jason because, definitely yeah he's just always in a tree but you know you gotta laugh it off and i mean it's it's each of us has our own you know jason's always in the tree i'm always in the drink yeah you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. it's like so but what's funny is when i when i look back at our stories right i mean we catch some fish but the things i really remember is the sucking more than i do actually catching the fish and and that's what really makes the great story and i mean steve Renault actually has that saying as well where he doesn't like he could sit out there in the cold and and, and wet and it just be a miserable time and shoot nothing when he's hunting but those are the trips that you remember most just being out there with your buddies having a great time yeah i mean it's happened like me yeah i've gone out with you plenty of times to dream out with me you jason or me you and lee you know Guides are frozen, lines are frozen, my toes, I can't feel, they're numb. But you know what? I enjoyed the whole day freezing with you guys, even if yeah. we caught one or two fish a day. You know what I mean? It's just, in the end of it, you know, it's just about a bunch of us guys just hanging out, fishing on, on a good day and just enjoying ourselves. You know what I mean? We don't have, catching fish is just a bonus, man. It's just the yeah, actual that's fun how of being you know, That's the outlook. That's, uh, that's how you have to view your day. Catching the fish just makes it better. But really just stepping outside and enjoying the day is really what it's all about. Yep, it's all what it is. So, so once again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of Tide Chasers Podcast. I'd like to thank once again my buddy Bobby out there too for uh filling in for Dan for yet another week. This man needs to he needs to come back to work or I'm I'm just gonna have to 
um, not pay him leave for this one, but uh, he'll be back soon, guys. I promise. It just, he'll be back pretty soon. But um, once again, thank you, Bobby, for filling in. My pleasure. All right. Uh, besides that, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't had a chance, check us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram. Just look us up on Tight Chasers Podcast and follow us on your favorite platforms and leave us a positive comment. But besides that, me and Jet Bobby's going to call it a night. Uh, keep those lines tight, and we'll see you guys next time.